Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, I'm Mika Simmons and welcome to the Happy Vagina podcast. Coming up, I'm talking to FGM campaigner Hebo Wadir about how she's overcome the pain of FGM to not just lead a full life, but to campaign for a better one for the next generation of African women. But firstly, I just want to take a moment to tell you about Kindred, a new social media platform which allows you to share the things that you love while donating to the charity of your choice. Yes, it really is as simple as that. You post your favourite new coat, lipstick or beauty product, make a genuine recommendation to your followers and a percentage of any sale goes to your favourite charity. And as if that wasn't good enough, a percentage of the sale goes directly to you too. Or if you're feeling super flush, you can choose to give all your commission away. You can download the new app at www.kindred.co. Kindred, share what you love. Just a quick warning, this episode contains some graphic descriptions of FGM. Most of it is in the middle of the episode, where Hebo talks about her childhood. Her story really is inspirational, and as always on The Happy Vagina, we have plenty of laughs too. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to The Happy Vagina, where we shame bust thoughts and feelings around all things sex, gynaecology and female body judgement. We share honestly about our experiences so you can do the same, leading to better health, better sex and better lives. I'm Mika Simmons, I'm at the Albright and today on The Happy Vagina we have the phenomenal woman that is Hebo Wadir. Hebo, hello, welcome to The Happy Vagina. Thank you very much for having me Mika. Oh, it's such an honour to have such an inspirational woman on the show today. You are an FGM activist, an author, mother of seven, campaigner, charity angel... I mean, it yes. goes on. <laughs> yes, um, I have a long title. I would say that. <laughs> Hebo, we, we always start the Happy Vagina with a quiz. Yeah. And when I came to think about this section when I was writing this podcast, mm. I hesitated and wondered if I should cut it. And then I remembered who I was dealing with. Yeah. And I knew that you would never, ever forgive me if I did things differently to protect you in any way. Yes. So I'm really looking forward to this for that yes. reason. How do you do with quizzes, Hebo? Um, I'm blunt as they come. Okay. As graphic as they come. Okay. And uh, there's nothing that I wouldn't say that I feel like I need to say. Okay, brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. I'm shaking in my boots. <laughs> <laughs> Your first five questions on the Happy Vagina quiz yeah. are true or false. Okay. So you're not going to get to say that much. It should be interesting. Question one. Yeah. The pH of the vagina yeah. should be around four, the same as wine, tomatoes and beer. I would say no. So you don't think it should be the same as wine, tomatoes and beer? No. It is actually true. Ooh, well done. You 
<laughs> no. One down. Yeah. Second question. On Hawaii, Hebo, there is a volcano called Capo with her flying vagina. Wow. It's called flying vagina? Yeah. That should be a lovely thing if that was real, really. In Hawaii. Think Hawaii, Hebo. Hawaii. So do I think there's one or not? Yeah. No. Am I correct? Hebo, it's true. I want to visit that vagina, I promise you. Me too. We will go. It's a homage. We will go. I promise you, take me with you. I really need to see that. The history of it was Capo's flying vagina was her superpower. Yeah. And she used it to save lives. One folk story tells about the day her sister was being assaulted by... Kamapu's a half-man, half-hog fertility god. Kapu rushed to the rescue, the only way she knew how, lifted her hula skirt with one hand, grabbed her crotch with the other, detaching her vagina, and with wings it flew past, and he was so excited that he started to chase it and left her sister alone. Hooray for (laughs) vagina power. There it is. He followed her all the way to the edge of the country where it landed and left an imprint, a crater that the Hawaiians call Kapu. And they believe it has got the imprint of Capo's flying vagina. Do you know what? I'll say it again. Hooray for vagina power. And I always <laughs> say it without even knowing that story. I always say vagina is the most powerful thing on earth. I think that I think that I would agree with that. Yes, actually. it is. Because yeah. life evolves from there. Humanity grows from there. Without it, there will be no evolution. There will be no humanity. Yeah. So vagina is an amazing, amazing organ that needs to be respected in all levels. That is absolutely right. Yeah. Another very interesting fact for you. Question yeah. number three. Yeah. In the beginning, yeah. all fetuses have what is called a genital ridge. Mm-hmm. So there is no distinguish between the penis and the clitoris at that stage. Yeah. True or false? True. It is true. Yeah. Well done, Hebo. I know that part. I think you've got one right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's correct. I know that. That's a scientific fact. So Tis. I know that. Yeah. Fantastic. You've yeah. got one, one, one of them right. Yes. Hebo, question four for mm-hmm. you. You can find squalene in both sharks yeah. and vaginas. Yeah. She's saying, yeah. She's just going, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, is that a true? I'm just yeah. thinking what is squealing. And um, then I'm thinking about the shark and their sex life <laughs> and uh, vagina and... Um, so does it mean like do we have it as we well? We do have it. Yes, it we is do. true. Yeah. It is a natural human vaginal yeah. lubricant yeah. that also lives in shark's livers and it's apparently also very good for your skin. I already have a nice skin. You have like got African, amazing African version skin. skin. Yeah. <laughs> but I wouldn't mind that squilling too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Last of your multiple choice questions. Yeah. Question five. The New York Times mm-hmm. called Eve Esler's the vagina monologues are probably hmm. the most important piece of political theatre for the last decade. Yeah, I think so. For me, my vagina monologue is amazing, so I don't know what... Uh, yeah, I would it say It is yes. true. That yeah. is what they said yeah. about it. And yeah. it is a groundbreaking... Yeah. It was groundbreaking, yeah. wasn't it? It was, because uh, I kind of watched a bit of it, just a tiny bit of it, and um, I kind of thought she was really amazing and how she put it and everything and content and everything i think this Mm. i I think i've seen it on cnn Mm. yeah Mm. yeah i think she was one of the first people that allowed different because she obviously went and interviewed different women Mm. about their own relationship to their vaginas and how they felt about it Mm. and it was it was so frank and honest it is it's Um, not quite so unusual today but at the time yeah 
I think what she made it possible, she made it possible for other women to discuss yeah. their vaginas yeah. and how they're connected to it. And I think that was a very beautifully put as well. Yeah. And the way she portrayed it was just, she nailed it on the head, really. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. yeah. And then they, then there was kind of this rolling performances of it. So, yes. You know, and it, and she it goes on. She opened the doors for she many things. She, she certainly did. Yeah. Did, yeah. Fantastic. And now we have five personal questions for you, Evo. Okay. Yes, go ahead. Starting with brief or G-string? G-string. Tell us why. <laughs> so, <laughs> I came to this country um, 18, when I was 18. Didn't know nothing about underwears and stuff like that. Went to Oxford Street and uh, don't know English, don't know nothing. Went, walked into this underwear store. And the first thing I saw was G-string and I loved it. I don't know why. I loved it and I bought it. I came back to my hostel, which was in Holborn, called Cecil House. Went into the toilet and put it on and I just felt very, very awkward. But at the, t- at the same time, I felt like amazing. Mm. But didn't get to wear it many times after that because it was very uncomfortable. Mm. But it felt brilliant. Mm. And afterwards, many years after I got married, I just thought I should try again. And mm. I loved it this time because mm. things were as, as not as bad as it was before mm. on my vagina. So mm. everything was good. Mm. And it was amazing and sexy and loved it. I yeah. love a G-string too. Yeah, I, I absolutely do. love it. And I they do. make me feel sexy too. I, even today, I'm 50 years old and I still buy them. Yeah, me too. And I'm sure my daughters, but I buy them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Brief for the daughters. <laughs> G-string for me. <laughs> yeah, this interview will kill me, but that's fine. <laughs> Question two. Yeah. Brazilian or bush? I love bush. You love the bush? Yes, because, first of all, for me, uh, I feel like the bushes come naturally anyway. Mm. Just trim it a bit and leave the bush there. I mm. love my bush. Mm. You mean you, you trim the length of it or you trim it? I the, trim you, the you... length of it because otherwise it's going to just get bushier. I don't <laughs> want it to get bushier. <laughs> but I have a beautiful bushy one. <laughs> Evo <laughs> and her beautiful bushy bush. Yeah. <laughs> just trim it a bit and just leave it the way nature intended to be. Okay, and I'm really interested in this next question with yeah, you. Yeah. Tampon or moon cup? Tampon. Tampon? Yeah. But having said that, I'm actually on the process of trying moon cup. It's a bit difficult for me. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite difficult when you've had FGM. Yeah. It's um it's a conundrum, but I'm not giving up on it. Yeah. I'm still trying on. Yeah. yeah. Is it to I, do with the size of the moon cup? It is to do with the size. You have to find the perfect size for you. And I'm struggling with the sizes at the moment. So I'm going through one by one. Mm. The minute I find the one I'm comfortable with, it will be bye-bye tampon for me. Would you prefer to use a moon cup? Yes. yes. For health reasons or just because you're no, into it in terms not, of the environment? and big, big thing is for me is the environment. Second, I'm thinking about the women who are you know, in a, in a countries that are developing countries that can't afford mm. tampons, the problem that they go through without it. I just want to solid, you know, be uh, solid, so you know, would you solidarity with them. But also, it's good for the environment, and we have to think about that as well. Mm, mm. And it's also really, really great way of you. You know, you can have the moon cup for ten years. Mm. That's amazing. In developing countries, though, yeah. If if we were able to start providing yes. moon cups, because yeah. I know yeah. there is a huge shortage of yeah. sanitary wear in those yeah. countries, what would that mean in terms of hygiene? Oh my God, massive! Not only hygiene. Imagine Mika of the girls who are missing schools because they don't have tampon to wear, so they can't go school leaking. Mm. They stay home. Mm. So education lost on that is massive. Oh. Women 
who can't afford that get uh, you know any means that means like dirty clothes cut into pieces put it down there causes a lot of infections mm. many things they can't afford the, uh, the 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 sanitary towels anything like that so moon cup will absolutely revolutionize their lives million more times mm. yeah it's an it's a, it's a vital for them to have moon cups mm. yeah we need to get you involved with June Sarpong, yeah. who's doing some campaigning around period poverty. Mm. We're going to sort yeah. that out for you. Yeah. But before I do that, mm-hmm. I am going to ask you the next question. Yeah. Which is, again, one of the ones I'm really interested in. Clitoral mm-hmm. or G-spot? I've never experienced G-spot. I don't have a clitoris because of my female genital mutilation. So I don't know how to answer that one, really. So how do you have an orgasm? I do have orgasm. My husband is amazing. He's going to kill me. Um, ah! <laughs> um, but I how do does... have it. I do have it. We do have ways of getting there. And um, it depends on who you're with and how they know your body, really. But do you have an orgasm through being touched on the outside or yes, inside? being touched from outside. That's how I get my orgasm, not penetration. I don't get organization. No. So if it's not a penetration, a uh, penetrative orgasm, yeah. Yeah. are you, obviously there are many ways to have an orgasm. Yeah. In fact, in the research that we've done, there are more, uh, up to 12, if not more. Yeah. And one of the ways is through a nipple. That is actually how some women can have an orgasm. I have never experienced that. But can you have an orgasm from being touched around the clitoral area? Yes. Right. My clitoris was removed. Yeah. But that means they've exposed a lot of nerves. Sometimes I can... I don't like it because I get too much... um, Too much sensation. Yes. So uh, we've been married for 27 years now. So we, my husband has learned how just to make me come and he's the most amazing human being. I love him to bits. Literally, if you could see the smile on my face right now. Yeah. So it wasn't easy when we Mm. got married. It wasn't easy. I hated sex to every bit you can imagine. And it was like, uh, I just did the sex just to, I'm a wife, I'm fulfilling my uh, duty but he took it in a different way and he was very unhappy and said it's not one way we need to figure it out how to make you feel what I feel and literally he's the one who pulled me into that direction and he's a Somali Somali men don't ever talk about sex or discuss about sex mm. so I'm quite a lucky one really mm. really lucky one that I get to experience do sexual you, pleasures do you mean that the Somalian men don't talk about it with their partners no no they don't and Even he dedicated himself to yes, helping you yes, find a way to, yes. to achieve he pleasure felt, he felt guilty that he was getting pleasure and I wasn't mm. and it's something that he made me sit and discuss even if I didn't want to discuss mm. he initiated the talk and I'm I'm very grateful to that. But also it must have brought him such joy. It did. Because you say that it came from a place of guilt, yeah. that he felt guilty that you couldn't experience it. Yeah. But actually yeah. what he was looking for was yeah. to give you joy. It did. And the first time I felt that, I just felt like I'm dying or something or I'm having aneurysm or something. <laughs> I really felt like that. Did you? <laughs> Sorry. I just felt like, what was that? <laughs> Am I supposed to feel that? And after that was just, Yeah. Amazing. amazing time yeah amazing i'm yeah. so happy i asked you these questions <laughs> amazing last one yeah last one yeah vibrator uh-huh. or vegetable none of them <laughs> none of them i have a natural one why would i want another one if you're single i don't mind you having those kind of things yeah but i have a live one yeah so i don't need any of them no no thank you hebo 
I believe yes. on the multiple choice, you got three right. Yes. I think that's pretty good Yay. going. You, you have a high me. vagina IQ. Your VQ <laughs> is pretty good, Hebo. <laughs> As I say, I'm a walking, talking vagina, so I should know everything about it, really. Yeah, yeah. Both of us, both of us. I yeah. mean, I, I just, I, I love the fact that you've shared about how you have an orgasm. Yeah. Because the clitoris is actually one of the only organs in the mm. body which is only there for pleasure. It is. And I think even though they have removed the actual area for mm. you, that mm. doesn't mean that the sight has gone. The thing is, it's not only about that when you're a survivor of FGM. It's like the psychological block. You have to fight off the psychological block mm. because every time anything is happening on your genitalia, you feel like it's a trauma. Mm. So you need to overcome that in mm. order for you to have a possibility of actually... There is a pleasure out of sex mm. and the women don't allow that. Many of them don't allow that because they don't even want to talk about that mm. and they just let it go and mm. live happily after with, with, ever without ever having an, you know, an orgasm, never knowing there is a pleasure out of sex. And that's such a sad thing mm. to hear when I'm talking to women that saying my age saying I've never felt that. Mm. And I'm like, you should feel that you should feel that and you should have talk to your husband but then it comes back to our community men and women don't talk about sex even if they're married 20 years well i don't know if it's just somalian men yeah. and women i think men and women in general i think yeah. there are a lot a lot of women out there that actually go without having orgasms mm. women who have not had fgm you know, and they're yeah. and they're actually they're too scared to tell a man how to give them pleasure and imagine ours because it's 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 a cultural thing as well it's uh, it's a lot of uh, you know traditional barriers that you do not tell your husband what you're feeling or what you're not feeling when it comes to sex. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of barriers that uh, people need to overcome in order to feel sexual pleasures, which I think it's the fundamental right thing for a woman to feel that. What do you think it is about Somalian culture that that, that, I mean, because my, my background's yeah. uh, Irish and actually there's a similar thing yeah, where yeah. men and women don't really talk, but I just, yeah. is there anything in Somalian culture specifically that means that somehow other sex is shameful, that men and women shouldn't talk what where did that come from? do you know where that came from all i know is all the women think um sex is for the husband it's like you're groomed even when you're younger you're told always you know look after your husband be ready for your husband be clean for your husband smell nice for your husband right. they never say it is for both of you it you know you matter there's no you in that conversation it's always about him, how mm. the house should be clean, how the house should smell nice, how you should be presentable mm. when he comes. So there was no nothing about you that you actually have a right to enjoy your body as well. Mm. You have a right to feel sexual pleasures like he does. There was nothing like that. The whole center thing about you was about him. And what what do you think made your husband yeah. so special that he wanted to overcome that sort of teaching as well? I asked him that question, well. actually. I asked him that question. I said, why were you, like, so different to that? And, uh, and he said, um, he said, first of all, he lived in Western world more than me. And he said he realised that women, in his head, she, he felt like, if I am feeling this sort of joy out of sex, why can't you not feel it as well? It's an exceptional yeah. thing, though. Yeah, he said, why can't you? And he understood because of the uh, the uh, the damage that was done to me, it mm. will be very hard. Mm. He's done his own research, and he told me he figured it out. It's very hard for us, for mm. me, to feel that because of the all the trauma involved and mm. the clitoris being removed. And we started working slowly, slowly on how to make me feel any 
uh, uploaded and stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's just sort of dawned on me, you yeah. know, that because you met your husband before you became an activist. Yes. And yeah. actually, yeah. he he is a huge part. That, that kind of opening and dedication to mm. you really finding yourself as a woman yeah. Yeah. must have played a huge part in you becoming an activist. Oh, my goodness. I think he was my private, uh, what do you call it, uh, therapist. Mental. Yeah, I will cry Champion. on him. I will be mad at him. I will. It was. It was like he will sit there and will listen to me. He was just the most amazing human being in my life, and I don't think I'll be where I am in you know psychologically, emotionally, the mental state that I have. I wouldn't be where I am without him being there, guiding me twenty four seven. Even when I wanted to get mad, he will tell me, "Do you want to break things? Bring the plates." And everybody will like break them. Go ahead. And I'm looking at. I'm thinking. What's wrong with you? You're supposed to tell me not to break things. He said, no, no, no. Let your emotions run. I That's one thing that I've learned from him is to let my emotions run the way they're supposed to be. I think I want to get yeah. him on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Adair, I would like you to join us on The Happy Vagina, yeah, he would season not, two. He, would not, he, 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 he made me promise when I started being activist never to mention him, which I Oops. do. <laughs> never to put his pictures up, which I've never done, and never to put the kids', kids pictures up, which I've never done. I yeah. stuck with that. So yeah. It's good to keep yeah. your home life yeah. private, yeah. I yeah. think. Just obviously before you met him, you yeah. went through a lot, as we've already touched on. Yeah. And I've, you know, I've heard your story many times. Yeah. Um, but I would like you to share for the people who don't know your story. Yeah. What was life like for you as a girl in Somalia? Oh, my goodness. Growing up, Somalia was beautiful. It was really lovely. I had an amazing, uh, really, we live in a large family, Somali community. People live in a large family. Like you live with your extended family members, auntie, uncle, you all live together. And my family was kind of a well-off, so we had a huge villa, which all my uncles and everybody lived in that villa. We had, you know, animals like cows, sheep, and everything. It was just amazing. And um, what I didn't know was what girls were down to, which is uh, female genital mutilation. You never are told what's happening to girls, what, what, what are they doing. And because I was the youngest, if any girl was cut, they would be cut in a different house, my auntie's house or somewhere else. When you say the youngest, you've got older sisters. I've got an older sister, yes. Yeah. And I have never seen like girls who were cut. Mm. But I've always felt like they will disappear for two, three weeks, come back, withdrawn, not saying nothing, not friendly as they were, not happy the way they were, and I mm. didn't understand it. Mm. And I was only about five years old then. And then when I got mutilated at the age of six and I found out what mutilation was, oh, my God, it just broke my world into a million pieces. But I remember you telling yeah. me... Yeah. Uh, I want to get this right, but I remember once hearing you talk about... Mm. Being at school, yeah, and actually coming home and asking, yeah, because I got bullied a lot. Uh, one of the things that I did was when I was school, uh, girls play and they just asked the question like, "Are you cut?" And I said no, because for me, cut means like some, you know, you are hurt or something. Because I'm yes. not understanding. Well, that is so, what it means. Yeah. So I said no. <laughs> that is what that yeah. means. And I said no. So I went. They just started singing every break time. It was singing and singing, you know, he bought smells, he bought this, he bought can't touch Quran. It was just constant, constant bullying. And I just went home one evening and I told my mom, I'm not going back to school. I'm sick of it. I'm tired of it. Cutting, what is that? Whatever it is, do it because they are crucifying me and I don't want to go back. And she agreed without explaining what cutting is. So Didn't. then what happened? Then what happened was there was a big party where all aunties came and there was a, you know, 
you are, you know, drowned with presents from everywhere. Everybody's bringing you presents, dresses, everything. And then the day comes and it was, wow, waking up really early in the morning and my mom feeding me and then leading me to this hut where there were people waiting for me there. And uh, what happened in that hut is what I live with today and I use it actually to teach others. And what happened that day was... uh, me just six years old being held down legs pulled quiet apart really really hard and uh, you know you basically they chop everything off they chop your clitoris off they chop your labias off and whatever skin is left is stitched up leaving you with tiny hole like a matchstick but the worst part on that was there was no any painkillers or anesthesia on that one so you were just literally ripped and the pain that comes with that is, it's, it's, just, it's just like, it's like you are, you're completely engulfed. You don't know which part of your body is not on fire. And mm-hmm. uh, every cut is just worse than the other one. And every cut is just worse than the other one. You're just six years old. Did you pass out? A, a million times, I know. I know I did. I just I was in and out of consciousness, right. in and out of consciousness. And, and the, what made it even worse was every time she cut something, you know, you, you were exposed, your hands. She brings her hands out and it's like literally a glove of blood. It's, mm. it's, I'm seeing that and I'm seeing mm. that her throwing flesh on the floor and I'm seeing my mom looking away and I'm seeing... It's just one of the, the horror thing that if I had a magic wand I would want to erase my mind from that Mm. pictures that I still got in my head Mm. yeah after it after you you had the would you call it an operation no no I would call it a mutilation butchery I would actually call it a butchery because I was butchered that day and I was, and yeah. a, and after and after that happened, they stitched you up. And how long they does it take you to up. heal? They stitched you up, and uh, I took about two weeks to three weeks to heal up. And when they took off the cloth that was uh, literally tying me down from waist down, the, was I couldn't walk properly. I couldn't because my joints were so painful. Mm. I couldn't, and they had to hold me to, you know my legs to start walking again and um, I I think I've lost me and I felt like I was such a shadow there was this shadow of me literally feeling the whole world has collapsed mm. I don't know anybody anymore including my mom I don't know you mm. anymore I'm just I don't know what I am really hey well what just for people that don't know very much about yeah. FGM <laughs> Obviously, and and you you've had one of the most severe. I've had. Kinds. There's a there's a specifically uh, four types of FGM. Mm. One is called clitoridectomy, that's either total or partial removal of the clitoris. Type two is called excision. Again, it's either total or partial removal of the clitoris, plus some of the labia minora is removed. And type three is called infibulation. It's total removal of the clitoris and both labias, the vagina lips in and out is removed, and then they stitch you up and mm. leave you with such a tiny hole. Mm. When you go to wee, you actually take about 10, 15 minutes just to empty your bladder. Mm. And that's the type that I had. And that's the type that most of my uh, community Somali especially in my age group, 100% of us were done on that type. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, and, I, and I understand that it's a cultural decision yeah. and it's steeped in, in historical uh, tradition. Yes. But 
what what is the thinking behind it? In my community, <laughs> it's purely one thing. Preserve your virginity and take away your sexual urges because they believe if a woman's got the clitoris, she's 24-7 horny and no man can, you know, satisfy her. Basically, you're insatiable and you can cheat on your husband. But the number one thing that drives it is that is the only way to guarantee your virginity so that you're not going to have sex before marriage. Yeah. I don't quite understand that. How yeah. is that how is that going to stop you having sex before marriage that's because when you don't even have a, a hole that is big enough for you to eat do you think you will ever want to have sex through that some women do some I guys see. do so it's psychological but majority okay. is like you you've had a trauma so in that area you really do not want anyone going near there until you get to the stage that you've married someone and you yes. start thinking about yeah. having children so it actually and, keeps you as someone who is there essentially to have children yeah and the funny thing about that is you get that and then you become a certain age group and you figure it out that when you get married sex is going to be happening and then mm. your your anxiety about that takes over you because you hear girls in your family got married they're hospitalized three four months they're mm. in hospital you get married. because why because they've been ripped apart again mm. because of uh, having mm. sex which mm. means again you're thinking as a young child i've gone through that i'm still dealing with that Mm. Then I have to deal with having sex with a man that mm. I, they will, will choose for me, not even me choosing the man. So it was just a nightmare after one after one that you just kept on thinking, how and why did I end up like this? And mm. most importantly, why was I hurt like this for? Mm. Yeah, it's it's it's. I mean, for for us who don't go through that in the Western world, going for a smear test yes. can be really triggering. Having yeah. your legs up in the stirrups can bring back all sorts of kind yes. of like. Uh, body tissue trauma memories yeah. about all the things that we've been through as yeah. women and, and, and you've got that yeah. times <laughs> a million. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When, yes. you, when you first have sex with yeah. a man af- yeah. afterwards, are you... Is that there's no reversing of it? There's you no... can't reverse. In my case, what I did was before I got married, I did something called the infibulation, mm. which means they just open that stitching up, mm. which means uh, they expose your urethra, which means you can wee normal again, mm. which is amazing feeling, I promise mm. you. How you long take... after was it that, that, that you had that reverse? When I came to UK, when mm. I was 18, literally I was here three weeks and I didn't <laughs> know a language. And I just thought, I can't live with this anymore. I need to do something. So what and did you do? I went to the uh, to the GP and I just pointed... In to London? The, in London and I pointed where my problem was. And this uh, uh, lovely, lovely young, I think if she was about early 30s, 
it took her about 10 minutes for me to even open my legs. I couldn't open my legs. And she kept on reassuring me to say, it's okay, that's the only language I understood. It's okay, it's okay. After 10 minutes, I just thought, you came here for help. Just open your damn legs. <laughs> and I did. And she took one look and literally went to the sink and just splashed water on her face. But it was a bit of relief. It was a relief to know somebody else knows what I look like. Mm. And uh, I got opened up. And um, the first time I went to the toilet and just we normal. I cannot tell you the emotion that came with that. Mm. I really wanted to hold my wee in and it was coming. Shh, and mm. I was like, oh, my God, what's happening? <laughs> I'm not used to this. So I was literally fighting with my wee to Trying let it come to, out. Yeah. And that is a reality for somebody who has undergone FGM, experienced it for the first time, how, as a human being, you're supposed to wee. Yeah. It's, 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 it's another different emotion to come to terms with that. Yeah. But it's, a, it's a one of the things that I call my first ever freedom act of myself, thinking for myself and making decisions about myself, mm. was getting opened up again. Mm. And, mm. Yeah. And, you, and you mentioned the doctor, yeah. uh, you know, that it was a relief to have the doctor yeah. see you yeah. for the first time. Yeah. Had you actually seen yourself at that stage no 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 it took me years after that years to see myself and when i took pictures in 1990s and you I, took photographs i took photographs of myself of your I, vagina yes i just couldn't take a mirror and look i just i wasn't strong so you enough. took photographs i took a photo and i took it to the chemist near my house in Leighton. when was this 1990s i can't remember so it was before exactly. mobile phones before mobile phones so I you didn't do it on your phone then have no, a look no i didn't have a mobile phone a, who had like a mobile phone for 1990 i don't know i can't compute the camera i took picture and, and then I, you had to take it to the chemist to get them printed i took to the chemist and i talked to the woman in the chemist she was such a lovely woman i knew her she was near my house and i said to her listen, these pictures are very personal. Mm. And I said, I really want you to look at them when you develop it. And mm. then I want you to tell me. She looked at me and she said, what are they? I said, I can't, I, I don't want to tell you. I just promise me, you look at them and you tell me before I look at them and you be honest. She's such a lovely human being. She looked at me, she said, okay. And oh. I promise. She did. She, she developed them and I went three days later and she put me in a booth and she said what I saw she said nobody should ever ever see that she said I couldn't sleep I cannot believe how I I cannot believe that you've had a child I don't know how you had the child that's what she said to me and she said I'm heartbroken for you and she said I don't know how to deal with what I saw on the pictures it's quite devastating those were the words she used and I said, and she said to me, and I need you to look at them. And I said, I'm not, I don't, I don't, I don't want, to, I, I said to her, I don't want to look at it. She said, no, you have to. You said, you're not really reassuring me. Yeah. <laughs> she was like, you're, she said, you're not really selling them to no. me. <laughs> she said, you have to look at them and I'll be with you here. You have to. She took one and it took me, I don't know, about 30 minutes to have a look at my vagina and now when I did, I was literally broken into a million pieces because I just Googled what a vagina should look like. Before you did. That, I just looked you at did. pictures and it was like, oh, my God, what have they done to my genitals? Where is my genitals? Why do I just have a tiny hole? Where is all the things that I've seen in books? Mm -hmm. What? I just took one look 
and I ripped and I said I don't want to ever look at it again and I never did mm. I never did I think that's good yeah I that's never okay did. that's your boundary around yeah, it I never can did. you tell me a bit about having a child before that so I had my first child I was living in Sutton Surrey and the doctors didn't know what, nothing about me and I never said anything and the anxiety level that I had I completely sometimes forgot that I was pregnant I was consumed by how am I going to deliver this baby? Mm-hmm. How is this baby going to come out? What sex is still pain? How is this baby come out? It's going to come out. And I didn't discuss nothing. And when the labor came, my husband wasn't there. I took the taxi and I went. And he was on his way coming when I found him. And I said, you need to come now. I'm in the hospital and my worst nightmare came true, which was they're going to see me. They're going to freak out <laughs> and I'm going to become a zoo, in a, in a animal, animal in a zoo. And I literally, that was how it was. This lady looked at me and I can't blame her for that. She Looking was frightened. Back, she was literally shocked that she r- ran out and brought 10 other doctors. And it, my Because legs, she was scared. Yeah, she was. And my legs were restrained. Remember that my legs were restrained. I'm completely exposed. I don't know one word English. Well, she was scared for the baby's life, probably. Yes, and I'm scared of every people coming you know doctors coming in looking coming in look and i'm thinking like i'm shouting in somali like stop mm. stop looking at me just mm. stop but mm. i can't say it in english i don't know what to say that and they were delivering me mika and i went into trance i pictured everybody in that room as my cutter so can you imagine you have a 10 cutters in your room i'm looking at it it's a cutter i'm mm. looking this way i just could not well, it's a trauma flashback yeah, actually and yeah. um, my husband was there and i'm telling him you know i'm seeing her i'm seeing her and i'm seeing her. he's like look at me look at me look at me and i can't i'm just i just shut my eyes closed completely mm. all i remember was my son started screaming and i knew that i delivered did re- they have to cut you? They though, did cut to, me. They to did open, cut me yeah. a lot. They did cut me in many directions that it took me months to heal up. And but oh, so after that, so they they cut you and then restitch you. But can they leave you more open, or do they have to restitch you back to how you no, are? No, 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 no. They can't because I've already done uh, what you call infibulation. Yeah. So there's no restitching me now. Everything is just exposed. Right. What they did was they did an episiotomy, which is cutting you to sides and the bottom so that you can have a, enough space. And uh, that place, that uh, the vagina uh, vulva area is already a trauma area, which is got mm. scarring issues as mm. well. So it took me a long time to heal up. But mm. the minute my son was out, I don't know. It, I don't know if it's a magic or not. The whole pain just drained away. I just wanted my son on my, I just wanted to feel him. And mm. when they put on my hand, and I just remember clutching him so hard, I'm thinking, don't let don't take him away mm. and she was like i want to clean and i'm like uh-uh, no. <laughs> i just felt like he's the one keeping me sane right now he's the one you know yeah the overwhelming love i don't know where it came from i just felt like mm. renewed mm. i felt like as a mm. human being mm. i'm mm. renewed and i have a purpose mm. i actually have a purpose mm. now to live mm. and to to look after this uh precious gift that I'm given. Mm, and yeah. then you decide to have six more. Yep. <laughs> Can you just say a bit more about we that? We <laughs> are from, uh, I'm from Africa, specifically East Africa, Somalia, where 
popping up babies like a popcorn is just a normal thing. So we have seven, eight. You and the Irish. Yeah, seven and eight. I identify, so, Hebo. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I've got any myself. but <laughs> I have seven beautiful boy, uh, children, four boys and three girls. Uh, and they are quite amazing, amazing kids. I love them to bits. I they, bet they're really proud of you. They are. They are. How is it for your daughters? Oh, the first time I had my daughter, first of all, I had two boys first. Mm. Then I got my daughter and oh my God, getting a daughter. I didn't want to even know what baby I'm having because I've petrified I'm having another boy. So I was like, I don't want to know. <laughs> so when the midwife said, oh, you've had baby girl. I'm like, what? I've had a girl. She said, yes. The overwhelming love for I had for her was different to my boy. Mm. I felt like, oh my God, the whole of my life was not to let any of my daughters get mutilated. Mm. Mm. And I'm holding her and I'm looking at her, such a big brown eyes, beautiful, beautiful little angel. And I'm like, I'm having a conversation with her. Then like, do you know what you've just escaped? Mm. Do you know what you have escaped? Is there any pressure for her at school? Is she in a school with other Somalian girls? Because there's is. still an issue in the UK with, with issue, FGM. But the funniest thing about her, she's 23 today, she said was, in secondary school, she said they did discuss it. She said girls discussed about FGM. And mm. she just told them, I don't even know what that is. Because I didn't tell her anything about FGM until she was nearly 16. So she was like, she just told the girls, I don't even know what that is. Why are you asking me? Were there girls at school yeah, who were going yeah, through it? Yeah, and they, some of them said they were cut. And she said, she was like, I don't even know what that means. How, mm. what were you cut? What? And then they told her and she said, I don't know about that because that never happened to me. Mm. And then I, the funniest thing about that was when she was having this conversation, she wasn't having a conversation back with me mm. until I wrote an assignment about me and I gave it to her. And it was, it brought all the information out from her mm. and saying, she was very angry, telling me why you did not discuss this before. Mm. How come you always tell me that we can discuss everything? Mm. And it was me telling her, I can't tell you anything, darling, unless I was okay with it first. Mm. I was in a mental place where, an emotional place where I feel like I'm already, I'm ready to talk to you about. And this is the time. And she was very, very angry on my behalf mm. and angry. Confusing, probably. Co- I think often absolutely. anger comes out of fear and, and, and confusion. Saying, why do they do this? Why, why are they, why? And uh, then after she come down after a few weeks of me and her talking and she was grateful that her words were, I'm grateful that I have a mum like you. Mm. Yeah. Well, you said that yeah. when you held her in your arms, yeah. you... Um, yeah. You, you knew that you were going to be able to protect her from yeah. what you've been through. Yeah. But Hebo... Yeah. Oh, I'm going to cry. <laughs> Yeah, you you are saving a lot of young women from this with the work that you're doing. That, yeah. that one of the things that I find most inspiring about you is that you have taken something that is a horrific trauma, mm. and mm. you've used it to change the world and the lives of others. Yeah, and not sit in self pity and not be a victim. You said at the beginning of this this podcast that yeah. you know you wish you could take it back, but there's a bit of me. Yeah. It's a bit like me losing my mum when yeah. I was young to, yeah. to, to ovarian cancer. Yeah. yeah, you know, I'm devastated by it but at the same time it's allowed me to you know fight for a better world for me it's 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 a conundrum that I have a deep fight with myself sometimes I wish that I can take away the pain the imagery the everything sometimes I sit back and I say it's a blessing in disguise Mm. I am in a position where I can talk about it very graphically discuss it and you know 
I'm somebody who feels now this is a purpose for me in life mm. to fight back. And the only way I know how to fight back is use it. Even if it means daily, uh, a daily basis where I'm using it and I'm reliving over and over, which it can have an emotional impact. Thank God that I have a therapist if I feel like I'm mm. over the edge, I need to go and talk about this. But for me, it's a, it's a blessing in disguise. I don't know if that mm. makes a sense. Mm. It is. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think if we are going to go through these traumas yeah. and, and God does give them to us, then yeah. we might as well use them uh, to change the world. Absolutely. And for me, I get a lot of abuse because of it. I get a lot of abuse of why are you doing this? You're making the community look bad. You're making... It's got nothing to do with community. This is a personal experience that I have every right to discuss and it's happening to girls, 800 girls per day. Well, it's, it's not a choice, is it's, it? When you do it like, someone I'm gonna, that young. I'm, I'm going to talk about it, whether you like it or not. Yeah. I will discuss it. And, yeah. and that would be the end of it. So... For me, it's um, it's a it, 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 it's a huge battle every day. It mm. is, yeah. Mm. Just before you had the uh, deinfibulation, yeah. yeah. what were periods like for you? So when you yeah. first got your your period, yeah, I thought I was dying <laughs> because periods not discussed either, never discussed either, and uh, I woke up in this. Uh, you know, my clothes soaked in blood and I literally freaked out thought I was dying until my cousin sat me down and she said, you're not dying. You just become a woman. And I'm like, what does that mean? I've become a woman. How old she, were you? I think I was about 14, 15, quite late actually. Mm, mm. And she said, oh, you become a woman now. And I looked at her now and it's that word again, woman. Everything is about woman. And uh, uh, she gave me clothes. Actually, we didn't have tampons. She gave me clothes. And then she went and told my mom and aunties. And all, all I could see was, they were really having fun, celebratory mood, and just chatting among themselves. Oh, and I'm like, okay, I'm just bleeding. Why are you celebrating again, having fun? But period was not discussed, and it was the most painful, painful ever because period wasn't coming out right either. So every month, my mom had to take me to the hospital to be given injection because the amount of pain I'm having is too much too much sometimes I'm having periods for the whole month because it's not coming out right and one of the days I remember one of the doctor was telling her let's just open her just a tiny bit and she was like no and he was like she could die you know she could get bad infections this infection we are controlling it now but it could get really bad what and do you mean controlling the infection they're giving me medication I'm always on on on, on a, a, a anti uh, antibiotics every month because Still today? Not today, thank not God. Since not since having today. the operation. Not the since having the infibulation, my period is coming out correct. But before that, but before you had to have antibiotics. Antibiotics every month. In order to make sure yeah. that you didn't get... Yeah. And even antibiotics, for me, it felt like it didn't help because every month I'm in just unbearable, bearable pain. And... Uh, sometimes you will have the whole month, you're bleeding the whole month. Is the pain... Um cramps to do with the period not coming out or stinging because of the blood uh, for me i just felt out. my whole abdominal was on fire right that's literally how i felt and that's how i described every time the doctor asked me i felt like my whole abdominal was burning right. from inside and this whole area even somebody him touching it the doctor touching it like that felt like you're going to you know damage mm. me or something that's how painful it was mm. but it was like um it's just one of the saddest things for me I play in my head when my mom's when the doctor is telling my mom she could die, she says, If she dies it's God's will. It's nothing it's not our fault, it's God's will. It's one of the things that I just feel like as a mom, how how how, how do I say that when a doctor's telling me if I don't do this, 
your daughter will die or your boy wow. will die how do i say it's god's will it's, it's not a, god's will it's a, it's a it's a lack of education it is and, and it's and it's tradition gone tr- tr- tradition which has 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 actually transformed itself into fact yeah and i think my mom and her her era you know in that era they grew up with that they didn't see anything wrong with it in in their part is a loving thing to do to cut your daughter otherwise your daughter's going to experience social death which is no one is going to marry her mm-hmm. everybody's going to call her names mm-hmm. you're shunned from well, it's community been normalized. it's been normalized absolutely and the social you know uh you know benefits from that is cutting your daughter is high dowry respect Well, I mean, it's and essentially yeah. the opposite is shame to yes, your family. And yes, this is insane, yes. yeah. insane to think yeah. that actually you would have shame put on your family yeah. for not adhering yeah. to the tr- traditions of FGM. Exactly. That is the most insane thing. It is. But for me, that's insane when you are, you're not back home, you're in Western world like UK, where you're given, you know, rights as a human being that you can defend your daughter, you can stop doing that, but you're still doing it out of respect for the you know uh family you know sometimes peer pressure or out of respect of your tradition you believe in your tradition even if you as a as somebody who's undergone fgm don't want to see that you are a victim because you if you see yourself as you are a victim you will be seen as a somebody who's weak mm. somebody who's disowning her heritage and stuff like that so for the parents who are here still uh, you know doing that to your to your daughters you really do not have any excuse mm. to do that to your mm. daughter you don't yeah and what i'm really hearing as well is that your that you have experienced that 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 the campaigning yes. that you do and that and yeah. the, the what i'm really hearing is that the campaigning that you do yeah. is very complex because yeah. actually it's a political thing that is rubbing some people up the wrong way yes. and you are being shamed yes. for trying to save the lives <laughs> and and save young women from not going through I'm what you've been through i'm called all kind of names i'm called westernized i'm called uh, traitor i'm called many things one of the things that really upset me and i, I shouldn't have was getting a messenger message which i shared on my uh, twitter and on my facebook which said uh, well done for making the community uh, look bad for making women you know stopped at the airport for uh, for you know b- being paid millions by western people to shame us you are a whore that word really disturbed me and i was like how am i whore i'm a seven for seven kids i'm married i'm past that now come on what you call me whore you be like define yeah, whore yeah so for me that really that really kind of had a had a i mean that kind of i would probably not take whoever that person was i probably wouldn't take them that seriously it was like uh, why would you call me a whore i've got seven kids and a husband i'm past that by now come on but, he, but, but it was what like do it you would, mean that they would would give people money for going to the airport they no they told they think that i'm being paid millions to talk about this they think oh, that i'm being paid confirm. by the western <laughs> i can confirm that hebo is not she's not being paid millions for the work she's doing and it's like i'm i'm telling them i'm telling even the women that i work with sometimes they will say are you paid for this i look i'm looking at them and said no even the biscuit the teas the coffees i'm paying it from my no one is mm. you know paying me for this mm. i wish you knew how struggling this kind of work that i do is it's got nothing to do with that but it's this thing where they believe if you are against the community which i'm not against my community i'm just trying to tell them what you doing to us mm. is wrong because the maternal death is huge the girls dying being cut is huge what the are the gar- statistics do you know oh my god somalia and eritrea are the are the worst when it comes to maternal death and mainly it's becoming because of the fgm fistula is on the rise 
because of that. Fistula also is when the baby just comes and there's a hole between the uh, anus and the vagina because nobody was there to help her to op- open her more so the mm-hmm. baby can come out. So she's ending up having, you know, can't control her, uh, her feces, can't control her urine, which means she will have other issues that mm-hmm. come with, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, uh, fistula. All those things are on rise. Mm-hmm. The amount of death toll that is taking girls being cut during, you know, a complication arising from being cut. There's many things happening mm. and they've uh, normalized that. They've normalized death mm. in terms of FGM. It's mm. been normalized. Mm. And that's what I'm trying to tell them. Why are you normalizing death? Why? Well, I think, yeah. And also just this thing about choice. Yes. Like the, these these young women don't have a choice no. because FGM happens anytime between six and between 15. Between zero and 10. There's a women who are walking on earth today don't know they were cut because they were cut when they were seven days old seven days old and they're told only they were cut when they're giving birth at the hospital they're told did you know that you've underwent this and i've worked with the women like that who didn't know they were cut Mm. so this happens between zero and the ages of 10 Mm. yeah and there are 200 million girls and women alive today that have been cut over 30 countries yes worldwide so Aside from all the shaming that yes. happens of you and the work you're doing, what are you doing today? What how, what do you feel is the best way? Yeah. What what do you feel is the most powerful way yeah. to change the messaging around this? Education, 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 educate men, educate boys, educate moms, educate daughters, young daughters. Everyone needs to be educated. Even the professionals who work with families need to be educated. People forget a blonde girl with blue eyes can be cut because they come from Iran, Iraq, all those countries. They forget that. They think it's an African thing. It's never an African thing. It's a global issue at the moment. Talking like this, podcasts like this, being given platform like this, do a lot of work. Uh, you know, media have been amazing as well. They've given us platform. But for me, I always use education tool. Mm. It's the best way to eradicate So FGM. are you going into schools? I go into schools a lot. I go to universities. I deliver training for teachers doctors, nurses, police, judges, everyone. Um, I am very, very busy human being. Um, it's education for me is number one. Knowledge is freedom. And and do you feel that it's enough to be doing that here? I know that you work very closely with Safe Hands for yeah. Mothers, which yeah. is a charity that has really championed the yeah. work that you're doing, the activism yeah. that you're doing. Yeah. And I know that they travel yeah. to some of the countries. Yes, yes. Is there a movement in the countries themselves where this is happening? There I understand is, it's happening in the UK too. Yeah, but there is movement. Uh, in, a, in in Somalia, for example, there was two girls, sisters, 10 and 11, who bled to death. Mom and dad waited until they were completely out of blood to take them to the hospital, and they dead. They were dead. So that was early this year. So the outcry for all of us made the president, the current president of Somalia, actually make a law. For the first time, we have a law that says violence against women and girls. And FGM is included for the first time in Somalia. It's now illegal? It's now illegal. And uh, it's just been uh, implemented. So what we are advising the government is you can't just make a law and just say it's illegal, that's it. 99% of the girls are cut. So what you need to do is education has to be priority. You know, upholding the law and education. Educating the women who've already had the cut. Yes, and educating. What we have in Somalia now is an amazing thing to see is the doctors who are becoming extremely vocal about this, saying we've had enough of women dying, we've had enough of women suffering, we need to stop this. This is so fantastic. I have never dreamed in my lifetime I will see actually a law that says no to FGM in Somalia. 
but it has happened. So there is a massive, it has given me energy to still go even bigger and go, you know, fight harder. It has given me that. And there's many organizations that are upcoming in Somalia that are really fighting FGM as well. And uh, yeah, there is, yeah. I'm I'm in I'm in a different mental state right now. I know we can end it. I am so proud of you. Yeah. I'm, I am so proud yeah. of you and I hope that you are, you know, I mean it would be great if these things were yeah. were not even in existence, yeah. but if they are, thank God for someone like you to fight them, Hebo. I exist to fight it and as long as I have, you know, as long as it exists in my lifetime, every breath I have and if the whole of my existence will be to exist to fight it. Oh, Hebo, it's yeah. been such an honour to listen to you today. I've got one final question yeah. for you. Yeah. If your vagina could talk yeah. today yeah. or any day, yeah. what would it say? What it's, would it say to you? What would it say it wanted? <laughs> my vagina, if you could talk today, would say, my vagina thought it would never have any happiness or anything like that. My vagina is completely, utterly fulfilled unhappy and amazing the way it looks it's a happy vagina it's a happy va- <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the happy vagina it was a pleasure 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 and lovely talking to you and thank you for giving me this platform really keep, really thank you very much keep the good work up thank people. you thank you you're an amazing woman thank you Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you found the episode enlightening and empowering. And a mega thank you to our sponsors today, Kindred. Kindred has the capacity to make a huge difference in the way we give, as every transaction made will benefit a charity of your choice. So get downloading at www.kindred.co. That's www.kindred.co. Kindred, share what you love. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.